Today we're going to continue in our The Way of Jesus series, and if you notice, um, I mentioned to you um, the last time we brought this up that for about a year now, me and, and several of us on staff have been combing through the Gospels looking for baselines, baseline attributes, and things, you know, as I said before, you've seen that bracelet, what would Jesus do? These are things Jesus actually did, and he did them on a consistent basis. And so we, I, we, these are all coming, and we've kind of identified six of them, and they're not in any particular order except the first one. Here's the six. We're going to go over these every week. First of all, we notice that Jesus put the kingdom first, right? The, Jesus' life, I would even go so far as to say it was kingdom-obsessed. Jesus was kingdom-obsessed, and he talked about the kingdom of God constantly. And I think he talked about the church like once. Uh, you know, I mean, it's not that often, but he talked about the kingdom all the time. Jesus was always truthful, meaning it's it not about, the, obviously, it's not about lying versus telling the truth. No, Jesus was um, candid. He, he spoke the truth to people that were in shame to, to liberate them. He spoke the truth to those who were sinning to liberate them. Jesus, and that's really a challenge to me, you know, uh, we, to, to just constantly, what does it mean for us to be always truthful? Uh, Jesus practiced God's presence. We're going to talk about that one today. Jesus and it constantly pushes to engage our neighbor. You know, that was the, the, when he was asked about the great commandment. He said, love the Lord your God and then love your neighbor. Jesus found a tribe. You know, one of the interesting things about Jesus that I've, I've thought about my entire Christian journey, and I, I really do think that, and I mean this with all my heart, I don't think I've ever grasped the gravity of this. I really do mean that. I don't think any of us have grasped the gravity of the fact that Jesus spent the vast majority of his life with 12 people. I can promise you that no, no modern evangelical who knew that the clock was ticking down, like Jesus had an expiration date, right? And he knew it on his earthly ministry. But yet, he didn't go on a tour, podcast shows. He didn't do big arena rock and all those things, which all that's wonderful. He, you know, he literally spent the majority of his time with 12 people. And we're still talking about those 12 people to this very day. Think about the gravity of that, right? And then uh, live free. Jesus set people free, sometimes physically, sometimes all the time spiritually, but, but he, was, he helped them pursue and he helped them give an answer to what it is. He told us the truth will set you free. So those are the six. And today we're going to talk about practicing God's presence, right? What does it mean to practice God's presence? I, if you missed, if you weren't here last week and you missed Ben Mandrell in his sermon, my stars, what a great word from God. And I've listened to that. It was really great. But one of the things Ben said last week was this. He said, culture is made up of the positive things you celebrate and the negative things you tolerate. Well, I can tell you this at Clearview, we are working hard to learn what it means to practice the presence of God, right? You, you can't, I've, I've felt this way for so, so long in my Christian life is, is that we're, 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 so, we, we're so afraid to, to do things because we think it's about earning salvation. And Dallas Willard, who, anything from Dallas Willard is gold, right? Just, but if you buy any of his books, like, it's going to take a while. It's not Dr. Seuss, okay? Like, I mean, you read Dallas Willard, you're going to get a headache, okay? So, and he's not trying to be deep. He just is. And, and Willard is the, as we say, the OG of spiritual disciplines. For those of you over 70, that would be original gangster, um, okay? Uh, it means like the person. Um, Dallas Willard is now in heaven, and Dallas Willard said this, grace is opposed to earning, but grace is not opposed to effort. And he's right. 
Grace is opposed to earning. But how many times, I, I would challenge you, read through the New Testament and look at how many times Paul even used phrases like, you just read some of them in Colossians, put on. That's God's job, not mine. Put on love. Forgive. How many times did, did, does, the, does the New Testament say, set your mind? That's on, that's on me, not on God. I'm told to practice those things. And, and so today we're going to look at this practicing of the presence because you, you can't just stand in a bunch of beliefs and I'm telling you and expect your, your, your life and your soul to grow in the Lord. You, you can't, so much of modern Christianity, I believe, is, is people thinking if I just believe the right things, it's all going to be okay, Right? I can believe all I want to about gravity. If I jump off the top of the chapel, it's not going to be okay, right? I can't just sit in a bunch of doctrines and hope for the best, right? I have to actually put them into practice. And that's not about earning. I didn't earn salvation. But I am told, even by the scriptures, to work out my salvation with fear and trembling, right? To practice the presence of God. And so if you want to be close to God, you can, friend, but I will tell you this. You cannot microwave spiritual depth. There's no microwave in discipleship. Jesus walked constantly, and he talked for years, and he taught. So we're going to go to Mark chapter 1 today. Mark chapter 1 is where we're going to be. And this is what I think one of the one of the better description places, uh, kind of an insight into Jesus' life, and it's kind of, a, it's kind of an interesting story. Um, here we go, Mark chapter 1, and we're going to start, let's, let's just pick it up in 29, verse 29. And immediately after they came out of the synagogue, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever. Peter's, Peter's mother-in-law was sick with fever. And immediately, they spoke to Jesus about her. And he came to her, and he raised her up, took her by the hand, and the fever left her. And she waited on them, or she served, got up and served them. Verse 32 says, When the evening came, and after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city had gathered at the door. Now, think about, stop for just a second. All right? Just imagine, you know, you live in West Haven, you live in McKay's Mill, you live in Sullivan Farms, and all of Franklin is trying to get into your door. Now, I don't know how big this town was, but it's, it's not as big as Franklin, but it's big. I don't think I want the whole town of any small town at my door. It's not a good day, usually, when that happens. They were, they were all at the front door, right? And the whole city gathered, verse 34, and Jesus healed many who were ill with various diseases, and he cast out demons, and he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. Now, here we go. This is where it gets interesting, verse 35. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and he went away to a secluded place, and he was praying there. Peter and his companions were searching for him, and they found him, and they said to Jesus, everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, well, let's go somewhere else, to the towns nearby, so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. Okay, so here's a little bit of the context of this. In, in, in no uncertain terms, Jesus' brand is on the rise, right? 
J Jesus was the newest, hottest thing on the scene. See, we, we know the end of the story. You got to understand, there were constantly people rising up over the ages to be prophets and, and special teachers. And Jesus, many people thought Jesus was just another religious guru, right? I mean, that's the, you wouldn't think that, but let's go back several thousand years, right? So, so he, his brand is on the rise. His ministry is growing, right? And in fact, it even says that. Look in Mark 1, 28 right there. That, that, look at that one verse. Go to the next image. There you go, yeah. It, immediately the news about him spread everywhere into all surrounding district in Galilee. Can you imagine? Can you imagine like what it, what it must be to know that you're having that kind of success? It's intoxicating, right? I mean, I signed an autograph one time on a kid's shoe, and I'm like, this is my, how Michael Jordan feels 24-7, <laughs> you know? I was speaking at this men's conference, and a, a famous Pittsburgh Steeler was the keynote, and I was the other keynote, and all these hundreds of people were lined up to get this, you know, Hall of Fame, or I think he might be a Hall of Fame. I, he, he, uh, he was a, his name was Tunch Ilkin, and he was a legend for the Steelers, played with Bradshaw, and everybody, this kid comes by, and, he, and, he, and he's having Tunch sign his shoe, and, but he's, it, Tunch is beside me, and, he's, and he brings the Sharpie, and, and he brings me this white high top, and I'm like, I said, does your mom know that that's the first thought I had? Sure, I can't sign your shoe. Oh, it's okay. Does your mom know? Because, first of all, she didn't know my name. Nobody, like, just let him sign. And I think I just let Tunch sign. I'm not signing that shoe, you know. But that's how a celebrity feels 24-7. Can you imagine that everybody's wanting to get to you? Let me tell you something, friends. Spiritual emptiness can come in seasons of success just as easy as it can come in seasons of drought. I'm telling you, it's the truth. So Jesus' brand is on the rise, and everything's happening, and he's got all this huge demand. But Jesus pulled away. And let me tell you the key reason that I believe Jesus pulled away. You ready? Here it is. Jesus needed the presence of God more than he needed to be needed. Now, I want you to let that sink in for a minute. Jesus needed the presence of God more than he needed to be needed. Listen, it's great to be needed, and it feels good to be needed, and it feels good. Like, you know, some of you, you ever had this happen to you? Like your, your phone on a certain, on a Tuesday morning, for many of you that are in business, it's not going off all the time, and your inbox is kind of shallow. What do you think? You don't praise God. You think something's wrong. You think, oh, they don't, is it, you're calling IT. I think it's broke. Maybe God's doing you a favor. But you think, oh, I, oh what, what if they don't need me anymore, right? There's a panic a little bit in there. So, so Jesus pulls away to get with God. And I'll tell you, he, he, he was doing it for a reason because he, he wanted the presence of God more than he wanted anything. Let me tell you, if you want to know, friend, the pathway to spiritual exhaustion, okay, if you want to know the pathway to spiritual exhaustion, it really comes down to how you answer this question. And here it is. Jesus asked it. Jesus said, and what do, you, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? How you answer that question, and what will you really, and there's another way of saying that in some of the translations, Jesus says, what will you give in exchange for your soul? 
What are you, what's your price point? What are you willing to give in exchange for your soul? We're talking about the way of Jesus, and Jesus practiced God's presence. And I'm here to tell you, friends, I believe with all my heart, man, I really hope you're listening to me on this deal. I was talking with a pastor the other day from a different, a different town in a different state, and we were talking about the context in which we serve the Lord, what kind of people we serve, and what kind of region we live in. And I said, I can tell you, I serve an exhausted county. I serve an exhausted county. So many people in this county are professionals, accountants, executives, you know, entrepreneurs, small business owners. They're full-time moms with three or four kids. I serve an exhausted county. And I'm telling you, it's the truth. Jesus, Jesus pulled away, and he pulled away because he needed God's presence. And I am telling you, friends, unless we start practicing God's presence and do some things differently, it's, it's really not going to change. It's not going to change. We're going to have to establish new rhythms. Jesus had a rhythm. I love that word. Jesus had a rhythm. Jesus had a different way of doing it. And you and I can get sucked into culture's way all the time. All the time we're spiritually exhausted. And I'm telling you that Jesus did not live on little Instagram Bible verses, which are great. But if that's all you think about as far as your time with God as you fight through the traffic of I-65 north, don't be shocked if you're spiritually dehydrated. I think culture is so good at pulling you into its rhythm. Wouldn't you agree? Culture is good to pulling you into its rhythm. And Jesus had a different rhythm. And we're going to talk about that rhythm because the, ryth the rhythm that which we choose to live matters. Jesus made a choice, and it is a choice. He made a choice to live differently. And today we're going to kind of unpack that a little bit more. And I think, by the way, just so you know where I'm at, this is not new study for me. I've been studying the idea of practicing God's presence almost for 20 years now. And I study it a lot, just personally. I really do. And I've learned a lot. And I can tell you that if you're going to start establishing new rhythms, you're, you, you're going to have to make hard choices. And I think, by the way, just for Clearview's sake, one of, one of my deepest hearts, one of my, my deepest hearts for our people is that an exhausted people can come here on a Sunday and not be exhausted. That we can come here on a Sunday and we can sit with God and be with God and be with one another in the presence of God. And, and that stuff really does matter. It goes a long way for your soul health. Because I'm telling you, if you live in an exhausted county and if, if we're pretty much an exhausted people, and I'm not 100% sure that it's not just a, a county thing. I think, look around most of America, we are tired. We are tired and we're in a hurry and it never stops. And it never stops, and it never stops. And culture will pull you in, into that. You're going to have to fight with a different rhythm. I think churches do it too, by the way. Listen to me close. 
I think churches do it all the time. I think, I think we, we jump up and down and wave our hands trying to get the world to recognize us and do everything we can with more programming and more programming and more programming. You know, I saw, uh, I saw a quote one time from a famous pastor, and he said, you know what I think should be on the church marquee in America these days? We're burned out, we're stressed out, we're give out, but bless God, the lights never go out at First Community Church. And I'm telling you, man, you're going to get sucked into that. And it's my job for us not to get sucked into that. So let's look at the way of Jesus. And, and why did he do it? And how? That's a bigger question. How did Jesus do this? Right? Here's two key truths. Number one, Jesus, write this down. Jesus pursued the presence of God because he was needy. I want to tell you why that matters. All the world came to his door that morning, that night, right? He'd been working all night long, healing people. They all came to him. But even still, he got up the next morning and he went away. He departed. Why? Because he was needy. I love Psalm 107, and I read it quite often. And in Psalm 107, there's a whole lot there about how to pray. And, and in Psalm 107, though, verse 41, it says something about who, who God puts favor on. It says that Psalm 107, 41 says that he sets the needy securely on high. They get the high ground. He sets the needy securely on high away from affliction, and he makes his families like a flock. I want you to look at that first part of that verse. Who gets the favor of God? The arrogant? No. Those that have it all together, no. Who gets the favor of God? Those that cry out and say, I need help. That's who get the favor of God. You want the favor of God on your life? Learn to be needy. And needy isn't cool in 2023, buddy. You know, if you're a, if you're a professional and you're supposed to look like, what was the old deodorant commercial, never let them see you sweat? Well, that's a lie. Because everybody sweats, Right? It's a reality of life. The needy, I love that verse. It tells me that those that, get the, those that get the high ground, what's the high ground? It's out of the swamp. It's out of the muck. It's out of the mire. It's out of the, the decaying ground. Those that get the high ground are the needy people, and they're the ones that crowd. And Jesus, Jesus very much was needy, and that's why he departed. Jesus needed the presence of God more than he needed to be needed, and that matters, and you can't overlook that. You'll miss this whole thing in Mark 1 if you overlook that truth. Jesus needed the presence of God more than he needed to be needed. And I'm telling you, it feels good to be needed. It does feel good to be needed. But he needed God more than he needed anything. Which leads me to the second truth about Jesus. First of all, I would say Jesus pursued the presence because he was needy. But number two, he protected life in the presence of God by being free from performance pressure. That's a long statement. I'm going to give you time to write it down. The first thing I told you is that Jesus pursued the presence. Remember, we're told to practice the presence. Jesus pursued the presence of God because he was needy. He needed God. He needed time with the Father. He needed, and it wasn't just a prayer time. It wasn't a devotion time. If you read the Gospels, Jesus was in constant oneness with God, constant. It was not a, a morning ritual. It was an all-the-time ritual. It's the way he thought. It's the way he saw people. It's the way he saw life. It's why he talked about the kingdom all the time, because he was talking about a lifestyle rhythm. He pursued the presence because he was needy, but he protected 
the presence, in his presence with God by being free from performance pressure. And I'm going to tell you, I don't know that there is a bigger place of need for all of us today than to listen. Some of you, not because I'm some amazing orator, you've, look, I mean, you're six. We all know better, okay? I mean that. We all know better. But if you will listen to what I'm about to tell you coming out of these scriptures, I believe that some of you could find some freedom. But you've got to open your heart to it. Can you open your mind? To just, could, could you just open your heart? Could you, could you just let some of your defenses down for a minute? And look at the life of Jesus, and you're going to see a different rhythm. Because there's something that happens in this story. There's an exchange between him and Peter that's very revealing, right? It's very revealing. Jesus was free from performance pressure. And let me tell you, I, I, I say this with, it's impossible for me to convey to any of you. It's impossible for me to convey how much sympathy and hurt see that's when the devil's involved hold on one second I'm going to bring it down that was you come on Ralph man now we're paying you like seven figures to do this you know I'm just glad it wasn't me for once I think it's impossible for you to know how much I want this for you. Because I really do feel for many of you in the workplace. Because it's brutal. It never stops. For those of you that are involved in budgets and profit loss statements... At the end of December, you get about seven seconds to celebrate if you made a little profit. And then it's all back to zero, baby, come midnight, January 1, and you haven't made a dime. And you know, no, very few employees understand that. And nor should they. But they don't understand. Many of you that have to earn and eat what you kill, that sort, of, that sort of thing. It's hard, and there's so much pressure. And I'm telling you, there's a way out. And it, and it caves in on us, and we pull, and we pull, and we push, and we push. And pretty soon you look up, and you're, you're exhausted, and, 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 it, and, it, and, it, and it just caves in on you. And Jesus had a different way. You think, you think, can we all at least agree that Jesus had a little pressure too? You know, Right? One famous business leader who was a believer one time said this, it's hard to keep up, no, it's hard to live in a NASCAR world and keep up with a Savior who walks. Now, I want you to read that close because there's a play on words there. Notice who's keeping up, not the Savior. It's hard to keep up with a Savior who walks in today's world. So there's an exchange that happens right here with, between Jesus and Peter. And, 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 and here's, notice what Peter says, right? 
It's, it's found in, um, in verse 36. So Jesus has gone away. He's gone away to pray early in the morning. And Peter goes looking for him. And then he finds him in verse 37. And this is what he says. Everyone is looking for you. Everyone's looking for you. That's not a compliment. Right? You can't overlook that. You can't overlook what's happening right there. But what Peter is saying, if you look at the verses, Peter's livid. He's livid. He's mad. Jesus is away. They can't find him. Maybe Jesus doesn't want to be found. So he's pulled away because he needed the presence of God more than he needed to be needed. And so he pulls away and Peter, everybody's looking for, you know what Peter's saying between the lines right there, you know, don't you, don't you know? He's saying, you're doing it wrong. That's what he's saying. You're doing it wrong. Everybody needs you and you're not where you're supposed to be and you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. I mean, see, this is why I'm not Jesus. Let me tell you what I'd have said. A whole lot. That would never made it to the canon, you know. Yeah. Because I'd have said some things, man. And I don't know how holy they'd have been. And he, you're not doing it right. You're pulling up. But I want to tell you something, friends. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why, Jesus. And I, I'm, I've, I've thought about this for years. I've noticed it as a, a rhythm of Jesus' life. And I am telling you, everybody, see, you think, so many of you think, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This is about just slowing down. It's not. It's not about slow. If you think this is just about slowing down, if you think it's just about just praying more, it's so much more than that. It is the way that you choose to live your life. Not just your mornings. It's how you choose to live your life. Because we all think, yeah, i got to slow down and unplug. Let me tell you something about Jesus, friends. I am learning this by watching Jesus' life over the years. Jesus did not pull away to unplug. Jesus pulled away to plug in. He pulled away to plug in. That's why he did it. He pulled away to plug into God. He pulled away to protect his heart from the rhythms of the culture. And I want to tell you something, and I can speak to this with absolute experience. If you choose to live your life to a different spiritual rhythm and practice the God's presence, you can take a little lesson between Jesus and Peter in this argument moment. You can expect your friends not to understand. Are you listening to me? You can expect your friends not to understand, right? Because see, this is what we, there was a time when I was growing up, phones had a cord. And then, and if you called my house, you got an answering machine on a cassette tape. And then, you know, you left a message after the beat. Remember when we told everybody to wait for the beat like they didn't know to, you know? <laughs> My dad actually said it twice. He would say it at the front. There's going to be a beep. Then at the, now, remember, wait for the beep. It's so funny. Um, and, and so then you would play the cassette tape back. And, and, then, and if you called somebody's house 
And you say, hey, just give me a call. Or if you called somebody at work and your light's blinking, you know, you come into the office, light's blinking, and you get some phone call from somebody that you work with or some business vendor, business colleague in another state. Hey, give me a call. If you didn't call them back today, it's usually no big deal. You call them back tomorrow. Now? Well, I know that you know that I called. And you know that I know that you know that I called. <laughs> and then if you don't answer within a few minutes... I'm texting you, or you're texting me, right? Some of you are going, oh, God, how far is this going to go? I don't know how far this is going to go. God, please make him quit, right? And then if you don't get the answer you want, then you try FaceTime or emojis, like, <laughs> right? Right? Uh-huh. Yeah. You're trying to laugh it off because we're all guilty. Because what we're saying is, hey, try to call you. Let me tell you what I'm saying sometimes. I know. <laughs> I'm the king of the no text back sometimes. Ask people. I will text you back. But it may, it may take a day. It's not personal. It's just personal to you. But I'm, I'm just as guilty as you are. I'm not the winner here. I'm just as guilty as you are. Because see that we've taught, culture's taught us to demand, 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 demand. And even your friends aren't going to understand. But let me tell you something. Don't, oh my goodness, don't miss this in this passage. Go back to verse 32. When the evening came... Now, Jesus had just healed somebody. You know, I've never healed anybody, but I can only imagine you'd be tired just from one. <laughs> right? What did you do today, Jason? Oh, you know, I've kind of worked on the budget. What did you, you, know, you, you do today, John? Oh, yeah, I, I kind of worked on some sales techniques. What did you do today, Jesus? Yeah, I pulled a demon out of somebody. You got to be, you think you'd be a little tired? I think I would. Verse 32. And when the evening came and the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill. And then the whole city, verse 33, had gathered at the door. Now, if you've got the power to heal everybody, and if you've got the power to pull out demons, and if you've got the power to set everything that's bad right, can't you imagine you would feel very guilty not to do it? I, I would think you would, that you would feel like, oh, I got, I got to do my job. But then I love, I love what, what, when Peter says, everybody's looking for you, verse 37, everybody's looking for you, and then there's the phrase, well, then let's go further away. Church folk don't like that. Really? They don't like it. Well, you're not doing your job. Oh, mate. Really? He was doing his job. And he didn't heal everybody. He wasn't at beck and call. Because he needed the presence of God more than he needed to be needed. And I'm telling you, your friends aren't going to understand that. And here's what I would say to all of you. Every single one of you. And I'm saying it to myself. In fact, I may be saying it to me way before I say it to you. I'm telling you. I tell our staff this all the time. 
the greatest thing you can do for the people of Clearview is to be close to God. It's the greatest thing you can do for the people of Clearview. But you can't be close to God if, all you're, if, if, all, if you're just exhausted. If we live in an exhausted county and we live in an exhausted world, then what good is it to have exhausted ministers? Rick Warren said it best one time, the, the pastor who's available all the time isn't worth much when he's available. So the, the, the truth of the matter is, and listen to me, friends, I want to free you up for a minute, okay? I want to free you up for a second. As long as you walk this earth, there is never going to be a time when the needs grossly outweigh the resources. As long as you walk this earth, there's never going to be a time where the needs far outweigh your capacity. There's never, as long as you, and I think that's why Jesus said we can go somewhere else, you know, because notice what he said in the verse, because this is why I came. When you know what you're called to do, it gives you a guilt-free way of pursuing your calling. Because see, Jesus didn't come, listen, this is a big deal. Jesus didn't come to heal everybody. Because even if he healed them in the present, they were still going to die. You know what they really needed? Not deliverance from cancer, deliverance from sin. And that's not going to happen until he makes it to the cross and comes out of the grave. So he knew what he was doing. And it gave him the ability. See, so when you know what your vision is and when you know what your calling is, then you also know what to know to say no to. You know what to say no to. And let me tell you, for many of you in this room right now, the most holy thing you can do to please God is start saying no. No. I'm telling you. It's wonderful. And I'm not that good at it, but I'm desperately trying to get better. But you don't feel like seven text messages is a yes or no moment. Oh, they're just texting me. I, I can answer them back. You don't think about that in the moment, but fast forward to the end of the day on the 87th text message. Hey, I'm, just, I'm just curious. This isn't even in my sermon notes. I'm just curious. I'm serious. I, I need you to be honest. You're in church. God is watching. Okay. How many of you get more than 100 emails a day? Raise your hand. High, high, high. Keep them up. How many, keep them up. How many of you get more than 50 emails a day? We're now at about half the crowd. Yeah. How many of you are on more than five Zooms a day? I can tell you, man, Jesus pulled away to plug in. There's always going to be needs. There's always going to be needs. And I want to tell you why this matters to me, to me why it matters to me and why I want it to matter to you. Because spiritual exhaustion leads to spiritual chaos. And spiritual chaos will show up in physical dysfunction. Did you hear me? I want to say that again, okay? Spiritual exhaustion always leads to spiritual chaos. Confusion, fogginess, you don't know. And spiritual chaos, will, it will manifest itself in the physical. And it will lead to physical chaos. 
It will lead to physical chaos. And so Jesus snapped it. He had his own rhythm, man. So we're going to move on. So how do we do it? How do we, how do we put this into practice? Because we know Jesus did it, and he did it a lot. This is just, I think, one of the better examples. How did Jesus do it? All right, so here we go. I'm going to give you three. They all start with D. I don't really like alliteration, never was good at it, but today we're going to do it. Okay, it all starts, they all start with the letter D. You ready? You can put this to, to memory. All right, here we go. If you want to start practicing the presence of God with the way of Jesus, I would say do something differently. Okay, do something differently. I love what Henry Ford said one time. One of my favorite Henry Ford quotes. If you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. All right? Oh, I love that quote. If you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you always got. If in your heart right now you're going, oh, I want the presence of God, good for you. You know what? You can get it. You can get it. But you're not going to get it unless you start doing something differently. You're going to have to do some things differently. And I, I can't tell you what that looks like because some of the things that make you tired may not make me tired. Some of the things that wear you out in your soul, what is your soul? Your mind, your heart, your will, your emotions. Some of those things may not wear you down. But if you stay with me now, some of you are under-caffeinated. It's a little early. Don't, don't, like, don't leave me for a minute because this is the good stuff, right? So everybody sit up, right? This is a big deal. I've been living this stuff for 20 years. I'm still practicing it, right? Everybody say, I'm with you. Say it again, I'm with you. All right, here we go. Do something different. Here we go. Number two, dedicate a space. Did you notice something about Jesus? Jesus went away. He had a space. Now, remember what I told you. This isn't about your early morning prayer times. Some of you aren't morning people. I am giving you a pastoral hall pass. No guilt. I would read, back when I was early in, in seminary and I would read all these great saints that I'd read these books and I'd, I'd see them, they get up at, you know, 3 a.m. To, to, to walk with God. I tried that like twice. <laughs> and God spoke to me in the audible and he said, this is stupid. He didn't really say that. He just, but he's like, I'm not getting anything out of this, neither are you. Right? Look, if I'm going to get up at 3.30 in the morning, I'm killing an animal. All right? <laughs> I'm a hunter. Something's got to die. I'm tired if I'm going to get up that early. Some of you guests are going, what? No, man, you need to give yourself permission. I do it all kinds of ways. It's not just about your morning life. It's about your all-day life. Your all-day life. Walk with God to walk with God. So, so you got to dedicate a space. And you know what? That looks different for, for many of you. I dedicate all kinds of spaces. I mean, I'll give you just a few. I don't think it's fair for me just to say things and not tell you kind of insight into my life. I, I'll tell you what, what I do. I got all kinds of dedicated spaces. One is prayer walks. You see me walking, you happen to see me, you know, walking at 10 o'clock on a Tuesday or so, you know, why, why is Jason, you know, way out in, you know, wherever, Barry's Chapel or what? What's he doing? Why is he walking on the road? Because usually I'm walking to go through a sermon in my head. I'm asking the Lord, you know, well, you wrote it. What, do, what did you mean by that? And, and so I, I, I do, that's a dedicated space. It's not a certain time of day. It's not a certain, but, but I'm telling you, it's better. I, my, my sermons, I think, are better when I spend more time with God. And I mean, really, but you, you, you got you to want that. I'll tell you another dedicated space for me. Here's another dedicated space, Wednesdays and Thursdays. Wednesdays and Thursdays, I don't come in at all. You know why? Sunday's coming. 
And you know what's not fair? It's not fair for me to stand up here in front of you and say, y'all, I don't have a lot for you today. It's been a tough week. And you could say, what has been for me too, Hoss? You know? You can say the same thing. I look at Sundays as I have a meeting with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. I actually had a deacon one time, different church, not this church, tell me, maybe you could, how much time do you spend on sermon prep? And I think at the time it was like 15 to 20 hours a week. And he said, uh, you think you can maybe spend a little less time? I said, no. No. I said, you know what your job doesn't have? You know, Shane Pass said it best one time about preaching. He said, I think preaching is like a research paper that you have to write every single week and then you got to go present it. How many of you wrote research papers in college, freaked out about it? I do it every week, and then I got to go present it. And, it. and it's coming. It's coming again. Tomorrow, Sunday's coming. So I dedicate a space, and it's called Wednesdays and Thursdays. And that's what I spend. Because you know what? 50% of my time, 50% of my life is spent doing this right here. And that doesn't happen in a day. So that's a dedicated space for me. I'll tell you, I wrote a few of these down. I'll tell you another one I, I do. I, a, a couple of times a year, at least once, sometimes twice, I, I, do, I pull away for a few days and, and then I go and do sermon planning for the, for the, for the year or for the next few or four, three or four months. Listen, for those of you in business, you can do the same thing. You think your business would be better? You think you would be better as a business person, a businesswoman, or a businessman? You think you'd be better if you pulled away uh, once a month or once a quarter for a full day to look out instead of down? I guarantee you, you'd be better. I promise you, you would be. I'll tell you another dedicated space for me. I'm fixing to do it this week. Every year, I, I host a couple of retreats and, for pastors, and I'm going to do one this week. And it is one of the most dedicated holy spaces I have. Pastors, I'm telling you, the reality, and this isn't a complaint, it's just a reality. I don't think it would shock you. Like, we have nowhere to go. Where do, where do pastors go when they're spiritually exhausted? I can tell you where they don't go committees. No, that's not, I, don't, I don't mean that in jest or even in the pejorative. I mean, we're not telling the church people we're spent. You know, we're just not. Where do, where do, where does a pastor go? I heard Rick Warren one time say it this way. He was a very vulnerable moment. He was telling all of Saddleback Church about he and Kay many, many, many years ago. He was on, I mean, it's public record. He said, you know, we were having a real hard time in our marriage. And he said, but where do you go when you're the pastor and your marriage isn't working? Well, you're not going to the church elders. What if they want you to step down? That's the truth. Right? So don't you think it would be better for all of your ministers to have regular rhythms of spiritual renewal than to just stand up here one day and say, I'm done. See y'all. I think that's way better. I think it's way better to pursue health than respond to dysfunction. Don't you? I do. So I'm, 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 and then be, be praying for me. I got several pastors coming from all over the country and I'm telling you, if you could hear those conversations, they're I promise you at some point there's going to be one dude burned out and tired, maybe crying. There's going to be some guy talking about an open struggle with something. It happens all the time. It's great, and I love it. It's a dedicated space for me. I'll tell you another dedicated space for me. This is the last one. I, I could go on forever. I'm just going to give you another one real quick, right? Here we go. 
You ready for this? The elimination of notifications. That is a dedicated space for me. Many years ago, many years ago, you know what I did? By the way, you are allowed to do this. You can go into your phone. I only have an iPhone, so I'm just going to go with that one. You can touch general, or you can touch notifications, and you can mute all those suckers. I took email off my phone years ago. And you know what? Nobody got mad. They didn't even know. Right? And if they got mad that I took that off, how would I know? They, I don't get notified. It's bliss. My phone doesn't ring. It's on silent most of the time. I get text message notifications. Nope, I do. It just shows up. But I don't get... Mm-mm. I, w- I want to show, show something to you. Okay? Now, I'm not far from done, but I want to show something to you. And I mean this, and you've seen me do this before, but some of you, you've missed that Sunday, right? This is my fr- I'm not going to pick on Charlie. You thought it was coming, didn't you? You thought it was coming. I'm going to pick on my friend Phil, okay? So, all right. So watch this. I have no idea what kind of phone he has. I have no idea what he does and where his dings are and all the notifications and all that stuff. But I'm telling you. And I haven't, he had no idea I was going to do this. And I have no idea what kind of rhythms Phil Campbell has in his life about digital stuff. Okay? But if your number one goal in life is to hear from God, then you tell me how it is possible then. If, you're, if that's your number one goal. If Phil's number one goal is to hear from God. Let me ask you, you think Phil's a better dad to hear from God? I do. You think Phil's, he works for 3M. You think he's a better leader at 3M if he hears from God? Oh, they don't even know it. I promise you he's better for them if he hears from God when he gets stuck on a problem. You think he's a better husband when he hears from God? Oh, yeah. Phil, Phil leads men of Franklin. You think he's better for Clearview if he hears from God? Oh, I do. So then how is it possible for him to hear from God if every seven seconds... Ding, ding. Oh, you got a bad neck. Bad knee. Yeah. Ding, ding. Hey, Phil. Phil. New performance goals came out today. Phil. Dad. 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 Right? Friends. Shot 37 on the back. Shot 37. He's a golfer. You actually might want that text. Maybe not. It makes you feel envious if he didn't shoot 37. So then see, now we're in a whole problem. If every seven seconds, hey, hey. Jason just posted on Facebook. Well, that would be a lie. I don't have a Facebook account. (laughs) Winning. 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 I don't care what y'all do on Facebook that you went to bed. (laughs) I certainly don't care about what you're eating dinner. (laughs) Food. Food. I don't even get me started. Phil. 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 Phil! That's our lives right there. That's our lives right there. You tell me how we can pursue an anointing in that environment. I'm telling you, it will never happen. It'll never happen. 
I'm telling you, unless you do something differently and dedicate some spaces, so for you, maybe the most holy thing you could do is dedicate a space, and I'll give you one last one, and then I'm done, okay? Here we go. This is from the life of Jesus. Detach yourself from the idolatry of approval. That's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus told Peter, I don't need you to validate for me whether I'm doing it right or not. I'm, you know why? Because Jesus wasn't pulling away to make Peter's life better. Jesus was pulling away to pursue oneness with God. And that doesn't happen just by hoping for it. Hope is not a strategy. He does, he's not, you're not going to get that. Some of you want, I just hope I can be close to God. Hope is not a strategy. You got to do something. You got to change some rhythms and you got to detach yourself. And I want to tell you something, man, I, I, I'm saying this with the most sincere form of love. And I mean this in the most holy way I know how to put it. I could not care less about what you or any other human on planet earth thinks about my rhythms to stay close to God. I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it for me. But I think I'm better for you if I do it. And I think I'm a better dad and a better husband and a better friend. And it's a constant war. Listen, man, I lose as much as I win at this thing. I'm not lying to you. Jesus said, I'm going to leave you with a promise. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary. And I'll give you rest. You know, it means a lot to us that you would come here today and be a part of who we are. It really does matter to us more than you might realize. Sometimes I think we underestimate the power we have to influence people. You know, if you would look around your world, you'd be amazed at how many people would receive what you have to say to them. You could be a digital missionary. You don't have to post everything on Facebook or we're not asking you to go on your favorite social platform, but I would challenge you to look around your world I guarantee you might have a friend, even in a different state or another part of the world, something was said today, whether a sermon, a prayer, a song, something was said that could mean a lot to them, man, send it to them. And you'd be amazed at how much of a difference that could make.